Preliminary Notice The letters of John Huss were collected by his friend, Peter Meldonowitz, M-A-L-D-O-N-I-E-W-I-T-Z, the notary, and it was the great reformer of the 16th century, Martin Luther, who first published them, rendering justice to the faith, doctrines, and noble character of their author. Luther at first translated into Latin four letters written by Huss in Bohemia and published them in 1536, together with those which the nobles of Bohemia and Moravia had addressed to the Council of Constantine. Wittenberg was the place where he published them on the occasion of a general council being convoked by Paul III. Footnote. This council, which was the first convoked at Mantua, M-A-N-T-U-A, for the year 1537, then at Valenza, V-I-C-E-N-Z-A, did not open until 1542 in the city of Trent, T-R-E-N-T. End of footnote. He joined to these letters a prefix, of which the following is an extract. My object is publishing these letters, said Luther, is if God should permit the council to assemble to warn such persons as might be present to beware of following the example of the Council of Constant, in which the truth was exposed to such lengthened and such violent attacks. Nevertheless, it triumphs now, and holding erect its victorious head, shows forth that guilty assembly in its true colors. Undoubtedly, God has sufficiently manifested in that council how he resists the proud and confounds the haunty by their own imaginations without paying any consideration to outward dignity. Footnote. The several editions of this preface, which will be found at the end of the volume, Note A, present numerous variations. We have considered it best to follow the first edition, which was most kindly communicated to us by Frederick M.O.N.O.D., one of the clergymen of the Reformed Church at Paris. End of the footnote. The following year, Luther published a complete edition of the letters of John Huss and prefixed to it a preface which we subjoin and in which he enumerates with great power and principal claims of Huss to the esteem and admiration of prosperity. This preface also contains some interesting and curious details, and Luther even narrates in it the strong impression produced on himself in his youth at first reading by chance some of the writings of that Christian whom he had been taught to execrate as a dreadful heretic. Luther is supposed to have drawn up the summary of contents which are found at the head of most of the letters of John Huss in the collection of his works. Footnote. History, E.T., and then M-O-N-U-M, period, J-O-H-A-N, period, Huss, Volume 1, Nuremberg, 1715. End of the footnote and we have carefully preserved them. The letters of John Huss are divided into two series, each of which refers to a different period of his life. The first is that of his 
interdiction and exile from Prague in the year 1410 and 1411. The second comprehends the period which elapsed from his departure from the council to his death. Preface of Dr. Martin Luther to the letters of John Hust, published by him in the year 1537. In order to render more prudent and to instruct by means of tyrannical judgments of the Council of Constance, all theologians that may be hereafter called to sit in the Council of the Roman Church. Should any man read these letters or hear them being read, being at the same time in possession of sound intelligence, and in the face of God having a regard for his own conscience, he will not, I am convinced, hesitate to allow that John Huss was endowed with the great, precious gifts of the Holy Spirit. Observe, in fact, how firmly he clung to, in his writings and his words to the doctrines of Christ, with what courage he struggled against the agonies of death, with what patience and humility he suffered every indignity, and with what greatness of soul he had at last confronted a cruel death in defense of the truth, doing all these things alone and unaided before an imposing assembly of the most powerful and eminent men, like a lamb in the midst of wolves and lions. If such a man is to be regarded as a heretic, no person under the sun can be looked on as a true Christian. By what fruits, then, shall we recognize the truth, if it is not manifested by those with which John Huss was so richly adored? The greatest crime of John Huss was his having declared that a man of impetus life was not the head of the universal church. He allowed him to be the chief of a particular church, but not of the universal one, just the same and as a minister of the word whose life is criminal, still remains minister according to external appearances, although he is not, on that account, a member of the saints in his church. In a similar manner, John Huss denied that an impetus and phlegus pontifus was a worthy one, although seated on the throne of the church. It is as if he should declare that Judas being both traitor and robber, should not be an honest man, although he had been called to the functions of an apostle. Every effort, in fact, was made to prevail on John Huss to admit that a criminal pope ought to be regarded as a saint and was infallible, that his words and acts were alike holy and ought to be received and respected as so much articles of faith. All the men of the Council of Constance wise as they were considered, were to have lent a favorable ear to such an assertion. They who, when they had dethroned three cultiple pontiffs, did not allow to any one the right of condemning them to the flames. But when John Huss said the same things, they dragged him at once to the stake. The door was, once more, footnote, we had these words omitted by Luther, but necessary to complete the meaning of the passage. And a footnote. Thrown open to similar events by the indulgencies which the Roman pontiffs scattered with such profusion over the whole world and all the jubilee which he instituted at Rome to build the church of St. Peter. For the Pope, among his other inventions, declared and afterwards confirmed by his bulls 
that the soul of such persons as having undertaken a pilgrimage to Rome should happen to die on the way, should at once take flight to heaven, and in his quality of God on earth and God's viceroy, he orders most pre-exemplatorily the angels to bear such souls upright on rapid cars. Titzel, T-E-T-Z-E-L, the bearer of the indulgences of the Bishop of Mentz, M-E-N-T-Z, in like manner taught that the souls should spring from purgatory to heaven as soon as the clink of the money paid into the treasury should be heard. But when shortly after he was confounded and put to shame, he shut his impotent mouth. It was to oppose such impetuses, calculated as they were to discuss even a brute animal. Footnote. Q-U-O-S. N-U-L-L-U-S. N-E-Q-U-E. A-S-I-N-U-S. N-E-Q-U-E. P-O-R-E-N-S. F-E-R-R-E-T. End of the footnote. That John Huss, preacher of the Word of God at the Chapel of Bethlehem at Prague, put himself forward. He denied that any such power was given to the Roman pontiff, who, he boldly declared, might be mistaken in that as well as many other things. Having then taken the great liberty of incalculating that the Pope can err, a heresy then considered far more frightening than to deny Jesus Christ, he was constrained by violence to confirm that he had maintained insane, that an impetuous pope was not a pious one. All then were in wild commotion, like so many wild boars, and they gnashed their teeth, knit their brows, bristled up their coat, and at last rushing uh, precipitately on him, delivered him cruelly and wickedly to the flames. One of the first articles that it was necessary to admit at that period was that the Roman pontiff was infallible, and such was the opinion of the Jewish councils of the Roman court. It did not appear presumptible that any error could emanate from so elevated a quarter, but when personal presumptions are formed, it often comes to pass too much is presumed. The extraordinary mistake of these men on so important part point and the manifest outrage which John Huss suffered from them only served to animate him with greater courage. A conscience pure of all crime before God and before the world affords a man a great consolation in his misfortunes, and if his sufferings should be for the name and glory of God, the Holy Spirit, the comforter of the afflicted, immediately comes to his aid and lends him assistance against the world and against the demons as Christ has promised in Matthew chapter 10. In these words, It is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. And Luke chapter 21, For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries should not be able to resist and gainsay. I have heard from some persons worthy of faith that the Emperor Maximilian said in speaking of John Huss, they have done great injustice to the, that excellent man. Erasmus of Rotterdam in his early writings, now in my possession, have declared that John Huss had been burned but not convicted, and a general opinion against pious men of that day was that he had been loaded with outrage and violence. 
I will relate here that Dr. S-T-A-U-P-I-T-Z narrated to me of a conversation which he had with his professor, Andrew P-R-O-L-E-S, a man of birth and merit, relative to the rose of Dr. John Zacharias. This Zacharias was represented in the clusters bearing a rose in his hat as a distinction for him and an affront to John Huss. Proteus, seeing this image, said, I would not consent to wear that robe. S-T-A-U-P-I-T-Z, having inquired for what motive, Polis replied, when it was maintained before the Council of Constance against John Huss, that the Pope could not be represented by anyone, Dr. Zacharias brought forth the passage of Ezekiel, chapter 34. It is I who am above the shepherds, and not the people. Footnote. It is not easy to see in reading this recital what force the adversaries of Hus could draw from the passage for the Eternal is alone spoken of, who announces that he comes himself in the place of bad pastors. The argument of Zacharias cannot have any weight except with those who absolutely behold God in the pulpit and who imagine that all that is said of the Eternal in the Scriptures is applicable to the pulp. M of the footnote. John Huss denied that these words could be found to form part of a chapter alluded to, and Zacharias offered to prove the contrary from the very Bible which John Huss had brought from Bohemia. For Zacharias, like many others, had often visited Huss for the purpose of convincing him, and he had by chance happened to perceive the passage in question. The Bible was then produced in the assembly, and it showed that Zacharias was right. John Huss nevertheless maintained that the Bible was not a correct one, and that the other versions would not confirm it. But being overwhelmed by the clamors of his adversaries, he lost his case, and Zacharias received a rose from the council in perpetual memory of the fact. And yet observe, Prolus, it is certain that these words are not found in any correct Bible, whether manuscript or printed, and that they all testify against Zacharias. Such was the account of Prolus to Dr. S-T-A-U-P-I-T-Z. The verse alluded to is found in all German, Latin, Greek, and Hebrew Bibles, as it was quoted by John Huss, but at Constance they could not admit it in any other way than as quoted by Zacharias, who deserved neither to receive the rose nor to wear it. The adversaries of John Huss' opinions have themselves testified to his learning. Thirty years back, I had several able theologians declare that John Huss was extraordinary, exceedingly superior doctor, and that he surpassed in knowledge all the persons composing the councils. His writing, and amongst others, his treatises on the church and his sermons, confirm the eulogium. When I was a divinity student at Erfurt, my hand happened to alight one day in the library of the monastery on a volume of John Huss's sermons. Having read on the cover of the work the words, Sermons of John Huss, I was immediately inflamed with a desire to ascertain by pursuing this book that had escaped from the flames 
and was thus preserved in a public library what heresies he had disassembled. I was struck with the amazement as I read on, was filled with an astonishment difficult to describe as I sought out for what reason so great a man, a doctor, so worthy of veneration and so powerful in expounding the scriptures, had been burned to death. But the name of Huss was, at that period, such an object of execration that I absolutely believed that if I spoke on him in terms of praise, the heavens would fall on me, and the sun veil his light. Having then closed the book, I withdrew sad at heart, and I re- remarked to myself by way of consolation, perhaps he wrote these things before he fell into heresy. At that time, I was still ignorant of what had passed in the Council of Constance. All that I could say would only add infinitely to the high character of John Huss. His adversaries render him a striking, though unintentionally, testimony, for if their clouded eyes could open to the light, they would blush at the remembrance of things which they themselves narrate. The author of a collection of the Acts of the Council, written in German and rich with very many remarkable details, endeavors with all his power to cover with opium the cause of John Huss, and yet he declares, and when Huss beheld himself, stripped of all the dignities of his order, he smiled with intrepid firmness. According to the same author, also Huss, when conducted to the funeral pile, constantly repeated, Jesus, Son of Mercy, have pity on me. At the sight of the f- fatal stake, in which he was to be fixed in order to be burned, he fell on his knees and cried out, Jesus, Son of the living God, who suffered for us all, have pity on me. Beholding a peasant bringing some wood to feed the flames, he again smiled with mildness and uttered these words of St. Jerome, O holy simplicity. Footnote. Luther here confounds two events. The touching expression which he mentions is erroneously attributed to John Huss. It fell from the lips of Jerome of Prague, Parentheses, V-I-D-E, quote, The Reformers Before the Reformation, end quote, Volume 2, Book 3, Chapter 12, end footnote. A priest having drawn nigh, and demanded if he desired to confess, Huss replied that he was ready to do so, and the priest having insisted on the necessity of adjuring, John Huss refused, saying that he did not consider himself guilty of any mortal sin. The man who, in the agony of death, invoked with so firm a heart, Jesus, the Son of God, who, for such a cause, delivered up his body to the flames with so strong a faith and so steady a constancy, if such a man, I repeat, deserves not to be considered a generous and intemperate martyr and true follower of Christ, it will be difficult for anyone to be saved. Jesus Christ himself has declared, He who confesses me before men, him will I also confess before my Father. What more shall I say? The road of pontiff raises more many men to the rank of saints, of whom it would be difficult to predicate if they are with the elect or with the devils. And he participate, participates into hell, a man like this, when it results from the examination of his whole life that his place is in heaven. Footnote. Luther adds, Latin, S-U-N-T. I-G-I-T-U-R-I-N N-U-M-E-R-O S-A-N-T no, S-A-N-Z-T-S-A-N-C-T-O-R-U-M T-U-O-R-U-M D-I-A-B-O-L-I E-T T-U V-I-C-I-S-S-I-M 
I N I P O S I P S O R U M M I P O N T I F E X capital R O M A N E and a footnote the footnote is translated there are then in their in their turn in the number of thy saints unto the devil and you my dear bishop of rome end of the translation of the footnote i have again specific these matters in order that they may serve as a warning to such of our theologians as may repair to the approaching council for should they resemble the man who assembled at the council of constance the same thing will happen to them as to the predecessors the acts which they are will be anxious to conceal and bury in oblivion shall be dragged forth to the open day and published everywhere the doctors of constance were convinced that no person would ever presume to accuse them either by word or writing and much less in the teeth of the cruelest menaces to honor john hess as a saint and condemn them for their conduct events have on the contrary either by me or by others verified the prediction of john hus our theologians strong in their authority anticipate no pearl i admit their power to be equal to that they possessed in john hus's time but it is not less certain that he who then stood at their tribunal now sits in the place where his judges must give way before him